Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATVers. I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 president-elect for the Metro DC chapter of the Association for Talent Development. And I'm Christina Eanes, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie Hubka, a chapter past president and a member of the pod squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. We also have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations as our producer. For today's episode, we are interviewing a thought leader, author, speaker, and expert on how human connection in culture affects the health and performance of individuals and organizations. The president and co-founder of E Pluribus Partners and Connection Culture Group, as well as the primary author of Fired Up or Burned Out and Connection Culture, Michael Stallard. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Leticia. Um, Thank you all for having me. Before we jump into our topic of connection culture, would you please share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Sure, I'd I'd be glad to. I um, spent uh, the first half of my career working in uh, the technology field and then on Wall Street. And I saw that uh, different, uh, you know, the different teams I was on over the years, different departments I was in, different organizations, I saw that cultures differed. There were some that uh, energized me and others that uh, drained the energy out of me. And then when I worked on Wall Street, I came across research that showed four out of five mergers failed to create economic value. And I, I found that oftentimes the two merging institutions um, failed to connect. And so it sabotaged their performance after the deals closed. And then I came across research that said 70% of employees are not engaged at work. And, and I was starting to experience that. I was, I was burning out. Um, I decided to take a sabbatical and ended up writing a book called Fired Up or Burned Out uh, that was published in 2007. And that led to working with just a wide variety of clients from uh, Costco, um, TCU, NASA Johnson Space Center, Memorial Sun Kettering Cancer Center, U.S. Air Force, etc. So I um, wrote my second book in 2015 called Connection Culture. It, uh, the second edition came out in 2020. And um, so that's what I've been focusing on in this second career is helping leaders cultivate a culture that connects people. How interesting. I love that you mentioned that every company culture sort of has um, a uniqueness to them. And so for our listeners, our talent development leaders and professionals who may have experienced unhealthy cultures and maybe as the result of the great resignation, for example, may have moved on to new environments. Are there any tips that you could share about transitioning effectively to a connection culture in a healthy manner? when maybe that may not have been the majority of their experiences. Yeah. So I think number one, it's helpful for people to understand what is a healthy culture. And oftentimes I go back to seven universal human needs uh, for people to thrive in the workplace. And they are, um, I, I describe them this way. I almost think of them in 
in chronological order, when you first join a team, um, you expect that, you know, number one, they don't know you, they haven't seen your work, so they can't uh, praise you very much. But at a minimum, you expect them to respect you. So that's the first need. As you're there longer, you've had a chance to work, uh, to show them what you can do, then you expect that you're going to get some recognition. If you don't, you start to wonder, is anybody seeing the good work I'm doing, the hard work that I'm putting in? And you can become somewhat insecure without having that positive feedback. And that's the second need, uh, recognition. As you're there longer, you start to develop friendships, people whose backs you have and uh, who have your back. And that that's good. That um, sense of belonging is the third need that really helps us thrive in a workplace. So notice those first three needs are all relational in nature. Uh, the next need is autonomy. We need the freedom to do our work and not be micromanaged or be in a culture that has too much bureaucracy. Uh, the, the need after autonomy is... Um, uh, personal growth. And I think of it this way, that when we're in a role that fits our strengths and it provides the right degree of challenge, it's not over-challenging so that we're stressed out or under-challenging so that we're bored, but it, it fits in that sweet spot where we feel a sense of connection to our work and the hours fly by when we're working. That's personal growth. It's also called flow or optimal experience. And then the last two needs are meaning when we're doing some work that is um, important to us in some way, maybe because it's uh, had an effect on our life. Or, you know, I often think of the doorman at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Nick Medley's his name, and he's a cancer survivor who attributes his survival to the treatment he received at Sloan Kettering. So for him, uh, his work is very meaningful. And then the final need is progress. We need to see that we're actually making progress toward, um, we're having an impact that is uh, meaningful. So meaning and progress are, are linked together. When those seven needs are met, people feel connected to their work, to the their colleagues, to their supervisor, and to the organization, its mission, its values, its reputation. So looking for an environment that meets those needs really helps people thrive. And would you say it necessarily goes in that order that you just described to us, or could people kind of find themselves at different um, area or aspects? Yes, it does. I think um, the, the, it does uh, those first three respect, recognition, belonging, they tend to evolve over time, but um, on a parallel track, people can experience um, autonomy, personal growth, meaning, and progress. So they don't all kind of, uh, they don't all line up from a chronological standpoint, but um, I think of it more as a helpful checklist. What are some ways? So you're looking at a place, let's say great resignation, right? We, maybe we didn't like where we went. We're looking for another place. What are some indicators that folks can look for when they're looking at a particular organization to make sure that it does have a connection culture? You know, Chris, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, one thing that we have found in our research over almost 20 years now is that a helpful way to look at it is that organizations have different types of relational cultures. And it even goes, um, it's even finer than that. Um, I would say teams have different types of relational cultures. And let me just describe, yeah, right. I mean, oftentimes you'll find a team that's working together and they're very connected and engaged and energized. And you'll walk down the hall, you know, a hundred feet and find a team that they're in a culture that's draining the life out of them. So, you know, that's, that's more common than not actually. 
um, you know, we see that in the data, just in, in culture surveys we've done um, around the world. Um, and so it's helpful to understand there are three types of relational cultures. The first is the culture of control. That's a culture where those who have power rule over the rest. And, um, you know, it's not very good for the rest of the people, right? They, they develop a sense of learned helplessness and I would say hopelessness over time. They, you know, they show up, they do what they're told, but they're not encouraged to do beyond that. And so, um, it's not the best culture to really thrive in. The second type of culture is um, we've seen rise in recent years and it's the culture of indifference. And that's where people are just so busy that they don't take time or they don't have time to um, invest in developing those meaningful connections in the workplace and those supporting relationships. And so it makes them very vulnerable to um, the stress response, which I can talk about in, in a little bit. Um, but when uh, you're in that culture of indifference, you just feel, you start to feel like you're in a machine, you're a cog in a machine and um, it, it affects your emotional health. The best culture is, as you would guess, is a culture where people feel connected to their supervisor, to their colleagues, to the people they serve through their work, but also to the work itself and to their organization's identity. Like I said earlier, it's mission, it's values, it's reputation. And those connections have a profound effect on us because um, the way we think of it is connection is a superpower that makes people smarter, happier, more productive, and more resilient to cope with stress. Whereas disconnection, which is anything less than uh, meeting that need we have for connection. Disconnection is a super stressor that really sabotages our performance and it, and it sabotages the performance of organizations. So it's helpful to understand those three types of relational cultures in terms of being intentional in putting yourself on a team uh, in an organization that has a culture of connection. And if you're a leader, it's important for you to understand that's the kind of culture you want to cultivate because it's going to, it's going to make your team the most productive. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Stephanie, go ahead. I have just so many questions. I, I just love this topic. And one of the, the immediate questions that comes to mind, of course, you know, culture is being made up of people. And I think we've all worked with colleagues who kind of seem like they don't want you to connect with them. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts or suggestions or tips on how you can connect with those who seem to have boundaries up or, or you know, they just kind of don't seem as though connection is something that would be meaningful to them. Yeah, Stephanie, that's a good, that's a good question. I've worked in a, in cultures, um, say wall street that were full of people like that. I really didn't want to connect. And, and, and to be honest, you know, to point the finger at myself, there was a time in my career where I thought, you know, work is work and life outside of work is separate and never shall the two meet. You know, And, um, so I, I would say, you know, number one, make sure that you have connecting relationships in the workplace. That's really important for your own emotional health and your performance. Um, but when it comes to reaching out to connect to people who, um, you know, maybe don't want to connect, sometimes it just takes time. It may be that they're uh, not, you know, they may feel threatened by you in some way. They may feel threatened by the culture you're in. They don't feel safe opening up. Um, but, you know, over time, there will be events that there will be things that happen. Um, you know, it may be something that they're struggling with that you can reach out and help them. And 
And you'll start to see those barriers come down. Not always, but oftentimes you'll just find, I think over time, that there will be opportunities where you can reach out and connect with them and, you know, look for ways to help them, uh, to compliment them so that they start to see that you're for them. And then they're going to be much more likely to connect. And, you know, I always love one of my favorite questions is what are, what are your interests outside of work? <laughs> you know, because you find out so, so many interesting things about people when they respond to that question. And there's great research that um, has been done on um, just this very factor of having uh, knowing about our colleagues' lives outside of work, this personal knowledge, it's called, that improves, uh, it humanizes the other person. Uh, both people in the relationship feel more, uh, you know, they think of each other more as uh as uh, not means to an end, but as, um, as human, as individuals. And um, so it makes them less, more likely to cooperate with you, less likely to undermine you. And so it ends up having very practical, positive effects from a performance standpoint, when we get to know more about our colleagues' lives outside of work. I feel like that's something we've been better at, especially over the course of the pandemic, where, for example, you may not have wanted to talk very much about your partner, your kids, your dog. But when they're walking past you, you know, when you're on a Zoom call and everyone sees them, it sort of begs that, that question of who are they? Introduce us a little bit. Right. It, it does, Stephanie. That's that's a great point. You know, when we're on these Zoom uh, calls, we do into unless they have you know they're coming uh they're, they're calling from a studio or something which we in our home we actually have a studio because we filmed a linkedin learning course here and um but you know you, you do uh their personal life tends to invade the zoom calls from time to time and it gives us an opportunity to make a positive comment or just learn a little bit more about them but i really encourage people to um get to take the time to get to know your colleagues you know um find things to encourage them about, ask them about their interests outside of work, um, offer to help them. If you see, you know, we were just at, uh, uh, my wife, Katie and I worked together a lot. We were just at Yale new Haven, uh, health or hospital this week. Uh, we were leading uh, small groups of physician leaders and nurse leaders. And I remember one of the physician leaders told us that she had befriended the leader of another department. And when her department got really hit hard with uh, COVID patients, that leader reached out to her and said, you know, I'm, I'm sending reinforcements because I know this is going to be a hard week for you. And I'm sending people over to help Aww. you. And she said that was, you know, she said that was one of the most rewarding professional days in the last couple months when a colleague from a department who had no, no, um, really responsibility to send reinforcements just offered because of this friendship they had, this connection they had reached out and offered to help her. I'm so glad you mentioned this, Michael, because you just answered the next question I had, which was, is it ever a good idea to reach outside of your team when you don't feel connected there? Well, it is. And it's, uh, Leticia, I'm glad you brought that up because it's, uh, if you're in an, if you're working on a team where people don't connect, it's going to affect you too. And it, you know, I, I didn't get very deep into it, but let me just mention this, that, um, when, when we don't have that need 
the hardwired need for connection met, then our body goes into this state called stress response. And this is probably a little more geeky than listeners want to hear, but let me just briefly explain it. Um, when we're in stress response, our body allocates blood glucose and oxygen to the fight or flight systems. So the heart, the lungs, the big muscles, and it under allocates to the hippocampus and the brain, which is part of the memory, the digestive system. So we're more likely to have say upset stomach or, you know, uh, gastrointestinal issues. Um, it also under resources the immune system. So we're more likely to get sick and the reproductive system shuts down to some degree. Now, if it's a short term stressor, like we're being attacked, it's a good thing that we're in stress response because that could help us fight or flee. But if we're stuck in a state of stress response because our body feels like people around us are not for us, that they're potential threats, then um, you know we, we're stuck in that state and we don't feel well. And typically, and I, I've personally experienced this in my, some of my time working on Wall Street where I didn't realize I was lonely and disconnected. I was around people all the time and I had a very busy task list, um, but I started not feeling well and I had no idea what was going on. Now I understand it in hindsight. And oftentimes when we're in that state where we don't feel well, and yet we have things we have to get done, we start trying to find ways to manage our moods. It may be, you know, uh, eating comfort food is one. That's one of my favorites. Quite <laughs> that's, that's, that's a fun one, I have to say, to an extent. Um, it could be, you know, um, uh, ingesting uh, substances, whether it's alcohol, um, you know, illegal or illegal drugs. Um, it could be other behaviors, you know, people develop addictions to shopping or working out, or there's a whole host of addictions. And about half the people in the U S have an addiction that has negative, uh, serious negative consequences to their health. So you can just see how this affects people when we're in a workplace where we're stressed and we're not supported, then our, our body knows it and it affects how we feel. And we often turn to these uh, these addictive substances or behaviors to cope, to manage our moods. And that's not, not good. So it, re it really, it's important for us to be intentional about developing those supportive relationships in the workplace. And of course, outside the workplace as well. I love that you geeked out on the stress response. <laughs> I love Me that. too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And I'm curious too, and I'm thinking there are probably so many people out there wishing that perhaps they had a stronger connection culture in their organizations. I would bet for a lot of people, it sounds like the kind of thing that leadership should really drive. But I'm curious if you have any suggestions for somebody who'd like to build a connection culture, but isn't in a leadership position in their organization. Well, you still can have a profound uh, effect on the people you work with by reaching out to connect with him. And you can even have, you know, I, I mentioned Nick Medley, the doorman at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And I remember the first time uh, my wife, Katie, was diagnosed with breast cancer and advanced ovarian cancer. And we, um, and she's, uh, she's fine now. She's a three-time cancer survivor and Sloan, Sloan Kettering is one of our clients, as is Yale New Haven, where we've, uh, Katie has also had uh, treatments. And, but I remember one of our early visits to Sloan Kettering, walking down the street and we got within eyesight of uh, the entrance to Sloan Kettering and Nick, he 
he locks his eyes on Katie and greets her like a returning friend. Big smile. You know, number one, no one makes eye contact in Manhattan. So that really surprised me <laughs> to see that. And then uh, we walked in the reception area. The receptionist was calling everyone honey. Also very unusual in Manhattan. And um, the security people, the administrative people were helpful and friendly. We met our oncologist, Dr. Marty Hensley. She spent an hour with us uh, answering our questions, uh, educating us about treatment options. She was upbeat and optimistic. And by the end of the day, I just, um, I had two responses. I had done my research. I knew that they had the competence, you know, they were one of the best teams in the world to treat advanced ovarian cancer. Uh, I also knew that they cared. I could feel their the connections we felt with the people there. And it just made me more optimistic that we were going to get Katie through this time ahead, even though her chance of survival was in the single digits, less than 90% chance that she would not survive for five years, given the combination of cancer she had and how advanced the ovarian cancer was. So, um, you know, this year we celebrated, I think we're 18 years now since she had um, advanced ovarian cancer. And it's uh, a joy for us to be able to uh, to really serve uh, Sloan Kettering through the work we do there with first-time supervisors, helping them cultivate a culture of connection for the people they're responsible for leading. Oh my gosh, that's a phenomenal story. And we are thrilled to hear that Katie is doing well and, and thriving. I mean, what a phenomenal example of connection and and just the power of that. That's incredible. Yeah, it is. I love, um, you know, in, in Sloan Kettering, one of the things I saw there that really caught my attention was their, uh, you know, they have their logo, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And beneath it, there's a little phrase that says the best cancer care anywhere. And it really, it really, every time I saw that, that's, that's what I wanted for Katie. And um, it, it really that phrase inspires people there. But um, I remember one time Katie was having a treatment at Sloan Kettering and um, it's called intraperitoneal chemo where they actually put chemo in your uh, abdomen. And um, it would take about half a day to do that or, or longer. And I went to a gift shop to pick up uh, something to drink. And across from the gift shop, there was an open area. It was like a lounge of people who had gathered to talk about the responses to an employee engagement survey. And I saw Nick, the doorman, and I heard him say how much uh, he loved their mission. And um, he loved the people he worked with and the patients and, and their families. And I just thought how unusual, it was such a contrast to what I had experienced on the other side of Manhattan on wall street. And I just saw what a connected group this was. And, you know, of course they've been recognized as one of the, you know, a uh, number one or number two in the U S for cancer uh, care uh, for the last 30 years. So um, you just, it really jumped out at me. And I was seeing that in the research, how important connection is. And then seeing that um, in person at Sloan Kettering really uh, just brought the research to life. And I write about it in our book, Connection Culture. It's one of the early stories I tell in the book is just what an effect that had on me seeing the connection that they had in that, uh, that group that's part of Sloan Kettering. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and just look at the things that people can accomplish when they, you know, they come together and they have a culture that allows for that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's powerful. And just to give you another example, um, 
Uh, one of my favorite stores is Costco <laughs> and we've done some work for Costco and I've spoken to all the warehouse managers worldwide uh, at their annual managers conference in Seattle. And uh, Costco describes their culture as uh, do the right thing, which means we obey the law. We take care of our members. We take care of our employees. We respect our suppliers and we reward our shareholders in that order. And um, you go to you go to Costco and just what I observe there is there's a sense of pride. Uh, people know that the senior management, the senior leadership team cares about the people who work at Costco. They have a reputation for uh, paying well in their industry, for giving, uh, providing generous benefits, for providing um, almost apprentice-like training to help people learn and grow and rise to uh, the level of responsibility they want in the organization. And um, they have a reputation of also um, just doing the right thing. You know, when when vendors have not met their standards and they can't find a vendor to replace them that meets their standards, they'll build their own. And Wall Street, Wall Street gives them a hard time about overpaying and being too generous with compensation. But, you know, the people at at Costco who lead Costco, they know that that's the key to their success is they take care of their employees. And, you know, as I said, it's part of the do the, do the right thing and that uh, employees return that with, uh, you know, high employee retention, which is really important. You know, you brought up the great resignation. Um, they have uh, employee retention that is multiples of most of their competitors. And um, you also see it in just employee engagement. Yeah. Well, with the great resignation, this is, you know, something I think that's going to change workplaces for, for good, right? With the connection culture, bringing that in and all that great stuff. Yeah, I think it could, Chris. And, you know, it I, just another factor we haven't talked about, but it's, uh, you know, there's. I've seen research recently, I, I think of Gallup's research that came out earlier this year that said negative emotions have been rising in the workplace for the last decade. And you also look at the research and especially with a lot of younger workers, and they feel more disconnected from, from political leaders, from organizational leaders. And to some degree, they're giving up hope that they can have rewarding careers in larger organizations. And that's a real, that's a real shame. So this is an important time for for leaders to reach out and connect with the people they're responsible for leading. You know, don't stay in your office all the time. Get out and, and meet people and encourage them. Get to know, you know, share things about you. And people are really longing for that right now. Yeah, you really make a good point that the momentum started a long time ago. And I guess it got to a point where we could no longer ignore it. So thank you for just sharing this piece of information with us. Sure. Yeah, we we find that, you know, there is a pattern in these organizations, whether it's Costco or Sloan Kettering or, um, you know, Texas Christian University is, is really a, a great one in higher education. You know, you'll, you'll find that they, they have a vision that inspires people, um, that it's a, a vision of serving a cause greater than self. I would say. And they also, they value people as individuals and don't think or treat them as mere means to an end. And they give people a voice to share their opinions and ideas. And then they take that feedback and act upon it when possible. And, you know, just that simple 
that simple framework, vision, value, voice makes people feel connected and that helps them thrive and it helps keep their body in a state of homeostasis where all their bodily systems are getting blood glucose and oxygen at levels they need to be healthy rather than in stress response, which is unhealthy, especially if we're stuck in that state. Yeah. Well, you have provided so much information, wisdom. It's time to move to the rapid fire questions. Now we get to get, get you, pick your brain in a different area. Each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. So okay. are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay, we got a you know, drum roll, get the excitement going. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Give us one book that everyone must read and why. Okay, well, I would say the Bible. I recommend the Bible. You know, there's there's such hist- incredible history in there. And just to point out one quick thing, there's a Psalm, Psalm 78, 72, and it describes uh, Israel's greatest king, King David. And it says this about him, that David cared for Israel with a true heart and he led them with skillful hands. And when you think about that, it really says, you know, he he cared about people with a true heart, but he also had leadership skills and led them with skill. And I think, you know, there, there's a leadership lesson in that, that we can't just be about tasks and and leadership skills. We also have to care for people. And and um, that's what really takes a, a strong leader can have leadership skills. But if they don't have the heart, if they don't really care about people, people are going to see through that. So I would say uh, the Bible for that. Okay. All right. All right. What's a tool you can't live without? Oh, that's easy. MacBook Pro. <laughs> because <laughs> you're I, here. I, I, you know, I find that, uh, oh my gosh, I, uh, you know, uh, all the time I spend writing, um, communicating with people through that, you know, here we are, I'm, I'm, you know, we're doing this, I'm working on my MacBook Pro as we record this. Um, but I'm also uh, taking in content from podcasts and webcasts and, you know, Know, and, and all the great things that are being artistically produced these days. So, uh, you know, even connecting with, uh, I've had a daughter who spent most of her time in Madrid, Spain, and another daughter who is uh, married and lives in uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and we're in Greenwich, Connecticut, North New York City. So I'm really grateful for FaceTime. So yeah, um, great way to connect. Yeah. So <laughs> MacBook Pro would be my there response. We go. Yeah. I love it. Okay. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, one of my mentors is Francis Hesselbein, who um, Peter Drucker described as the greatest leader he had ever met. And um, Mrs. Hesselbein, she was uh, responsible for really saving the Girl Scouts when she became its leader years ago. And I remember one time I was having lunch with Francis and uh, we were walking across the street on on Park Avenue toward the Waldorf Astoria where we were going to have lunch. And she turned to me and she said, to serve is to live. Remember that. And that's her, that's actually her Twitter handle. Uh, there's so much wisdom in that, you know, they call it helpers high, right? When we help others, we experience a high. And I think uh, the joy in my life really comes from, from serving, serving others through our work, helping leaders and helping organizations just create healthier, healthier workplaces that really have a cascading effect out to, uh, the people who work there, their their families, their community, when they feel like they're thriving in the workplace, that affects the rest of their lives and the community that they interact with. What a great episode. Michael, we're so happy you joined us today to share your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you. It's really, I appreciate you having me on your program and uh, wish you all the very best. Yes. And thank you to my co-host as well.
Yeah, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation, Michael. We are so grateful for the ideas, the tips. And I think we're all in a much better position to look at connection in a new way and to start to really incorporate that into our workplaces. So thank you. Agreed. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And many thanks to our community for listening. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Alina Hodges. Do you need consultant services? The Metro DC chapter of ATD has many talented members. Go to dcatd.org and check out our consultants directory under the resources menu option. Follow the Metro DC chapter of ATD on LinkedIn today. Thank you.